You're listening to The Unstoppables, where each week we show you how to overcome obstacles and transform the sting of failure into the reward of growth. And now, here's your host, best-selling author, keynote speaker, and CEO, Bill Woodich. What does it feel like to work at a place that you dread going into? What does it feel like to work for people that you don't respect? It's got to be an experience that either you're going through right now, maybe you've gone through. In that rearview mirror, man, it feels good that you moved through it. Or if you're in it, what do you need to do to move through it? You know, the purpose of this show, The Unstoppables, is to take and give you the ideas. Most people who have gone through and gone to those places and pushed through the obstacles, they felt the resistance, the rejection, the sting, the lacerations of fear and failure, but they moved through it. They had self-belief. They took that belief. They took action. Did they fail? Yes. But did they succeed? They would tell you they're still raising that bar. Today's guest is raising the bar of success even further than what one could imagine. His name is Mike Simmons. Mike, welcome to The Unstoppables. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to this. Mike, you were born into an entrepreneurial family. We did a little bit of riff uh, pre-show and we talked about you were in a job or a number of jobs where you really just you didn't feel it and you were in a place where you didn't really respect the people you can take me back to the feeling first of all what, what did it feel like to be in a place that you just knew man I, I i can't stand coming in here so for me uh mondays are the worst you know you go into work and you know you got the whole week ahead of you uh, you're working with people, some of whom you you enjoy being around, but honestly, a lot of times what happens when you're in a soul-crushing job is the day kind of revolves around complaining, commiserating, talking about how much you dislike your boss, talking about how much you dislike the company. It happens. I've, I've had more than one job and all of them had that common denominator. And honestly, you live for Friday. Friday afternoon is great. Saturday is a lot of fun, and I have a I had a hard time enjoying even Sunday because I knew the next day was Monday, right? So you get a day and a half of actual joy where you feel happy and you feel optimistic about the day and you feel good about what's happening, um, and that's the best case scenario because if work is going too badly, then sometimes you can't even enjoy the weekend because you're you're dreading and thinking about what's going to take place the following week. You get up in the morning, you get into your car. I live in the Midwest. So, you know, half of the year I get into the car, there's snow. I'm, I'm scraping off snow first thing in the morning, sun's not up. And I'm, I'm out there freezing, scraping snow to go do something that I desperately hate and don't want to do. And, and frankly, don't feel like I'm built to do. I had a pretty good paying job in corporate. I, you know, I did some bad, I had some bad paying jobs and, but I got myself to a point after a number of years where I was making good money and I had a good job, but the higher I went on the ladder, the more desperate I felt because A, the work, you get more responsibility for sure. B, I'm making more money, which means it's a lot harder to walk away. I'm starting to create a lifestyle that requires that kind of that kind of money. And C, I was watching as you go up the ladder, you start being conscious of the of the positions that you are vying for, that you want. And so as I watched those people who had the positions that I, I thought I wanted at some point. I realized they were all more miserable than me, hated their life more than I hated my life. And I thought, I hate my life more today than I did 10 years ago, career-wise. 
and they hate their life more than I hate mine currently. What, what, what am I doing here? Are we driving? Am I driving toward a cliff? Like, is that really what I'm, what I'm doing? I'm hitting the gas going in a destination that I, all indications are I'll hate it even more. And, and it just became too much for me. But, you know, I had a five year period of time where I sort of drew a line in the sand and said, I want to change things. And then it took me five years to actually do something about it. Right. And that's, I spent five years gripped in fear. I'm the least likely person that you can you can ever imagine to do what I'm doing and have the level of success that I've been fortunate to have. I was an average student in school. I was an average athlete. I played football, baseball, ran track. I was average. I was not raised with a tons of, of compliments and, and praise heaped on me by my family. My dad was a Marine and he raised me like he was a Marine, you know, there wasn't tons and tons of ad, uh, pat on the back and attaboy. And I went into, uh, I went into corporate life thinking all I wanted was security and I wanted, you know, um, a 401k, like that was, that was really my goal. And I always describe it as this, this gravitational pull that I had. And the gravitational pull was this, this entity that I was born into and this way of thinking about life that didn't allow for anything outside of going, working 60 hours a week, mm -hmm. working for 30, 40 years, retiring and dying. Like that's really what I was meant to do according to the way I was raised. And so I'm in this, I'm in this rocket ship trying to break out of this gravitational pull that's pulling me back every time I think I want to do something. So why did I spend five years? I was afraid. I was afraid. That's what it boils down to. And as a kid who was raised by a Marine, at some point, fear starts making you feel really bad about yourself. Like I really started feeling bad. I had, a, and here's the crazy thing. And I think people can relate. I have great kids. I, I have a great wife. I was making good money. I lived in a nice house. I had good friends, right? So what's so bad? I knew that I was not happy with the life that I had created career-wise. I just hated what I did, but everything was good. And I think that sometimes is what stops people. They can't see tangibly what's wrong. Good wife, good family, good husband, whatever it is, good, nice house, great school system, great friends. What am I doing? Why am I going to take such a risk when I kind of have everything that I'm told I'm supposed to want? But the one thing that I think people fail to put value on is their happiness, like their mental happiness and satisfaction with what they do every day. Let me tell you something. If you wake up on Mondays and you are dreading your week, that's a bad, listen, that's not even good for your health, but that's bad for your mind. It's bad. It's really bad. And I, and I did it for a long time. People do it. I get that. A, a lot of us live in a cul-de-sac of comfort and we measure based on the external. So we take it as a kind of an average or a mean of what happiness is, sacrificing ours and saying, no, but rationally this fits. Here's the reasons why this fits. I have this, I'm checking these boxes, the wife, the car, the kids, the bucolic neighborhood. This is all checking boxes, but inside there's gotta be that fire. And if that fire is an ember, and it may, may have been in us because you have a lot of similarities in background. And I think one of those ones we're gonna jump on and that's the need to validate in about a minute. Okay. But when that ember becomes a fire, and that pain of doing the same thing, that pain of um, not taking the action overcomes the assumed pain of the change that will require that action. Man, we're gonna get, we're gonna get off and move. So first part is this, coming from your background, how important was it? Because I, I had this need to be validated, never got it in my youth. 
right? Had to crawl and, and scratch my way to the top of a leaderboard to get it. How important was validation for you in this process of proving to yourself, this is my way, this will make me more happy. And then what was the impetus that got you then, okay, F this cul-de-sac of comfort, man, I'm moving. Yeah. Yeah, I needed validation. I didn't realize it. And I didn't realize it until much later in life. But when you grow up in an authoritative kind of an environment with a very, um, you know, authoritative father figure, you, you're always looking for validation. You're always looking for someone to, to say, yeah, you're doing the right thing. That's good. Good for you. To the point that when I finally started my own business and got out of that gravitational pull, I actually took my parents out to dinner and said, listen, I'm going to quit my, my job, my well-paying white collar job. And I remember my dad said to me, and by the way, I had already achieved financial success. I was pretty conservative when I left my, my company. I was already way making more in my business than I was in my nine to five. And I remember his response to that was, you're making a mistake. Like that was what he said to me as I was stepping out and doing it, you're making a mistake. And I remember like thinking, oh my God, what do I have to do to, to prove to you that I've, I've got this, you know? What was the impetus? So for me, because I couldn't see tangible external things that were going so wrong, it was kind of all between my ears. I got to the point where I, I got sick of making excuses to myself why I wasn't taking action. And, and I, I finally, once I kind of zeroed in on what it was, because I told myself, by the way, for five years that I was preparing, I was laying groundwork, I was educating myself, I was trying to put myself in a position to where I could actually take action. And all of it was, was preparation that allowed me to put off the inevitable leap, you know, taking that risk. And once I realized I wasn't preparing myself, I wasn't educating myself, I was afraid. I was afraid to do it. And, and by the way, I don't have a lot of fear of risking finances and money. That, that, that doesn't really scare me that much. What I was afraid of was how I would look to my family, how I would look to my friends, what they would say if it didn't work, what they would say even if it did work. Like I was afraid of everyone's opinions of what I was doing, and I didn't want to hear that negative opinion. But once I got to the point where I realized this is all just fear, man. I'm already prepared. I know enough to get started. It's fear that's stopping me. Once I once I pinpointed that, I said unacceptable. And it's like the Marine dad in my head kicked in and said, you know, basically there's no fear in this dojo kind of, you know, like you, fear is not going to be something we're going to give into. I wasn't allowed to when I was a kid. And as an adult, I was allowing myself to give into that fear. And I, I just finally got disgusted with myself. I started feeling bad about me and who I am. And, I, and it pushed me forward. So you used that authoritarian background to move forward. That was, yep. You used some of the things that the residual of that to move forward. It, it made the way. Got to ask you this question. Have you received that validation now, the parental validation? Uh, in terms of him saying, hey, you've really done a great job. I'm impressed. No, no, he'll he'll never say that. He, he doesn't say he's not. And he'd never he doesn't tell me I'm making a mistake anymore. Um, but he's he it's compliments just don't come out of his mouth, you know, so the fact that he doesn't tell me I'm crazy or that I made a mistake or why don't you go back and get a job that that I know that means he knows that I, I've done it, you know, so it's the hardest thing we do. But you talked about getting between those that that's six inches up here between the ears. And that's really where you start to dissect fear. And once you break it away from the emotion. And, and for me, I had to learn to extricate myself from the external, from that need for validation, because you're going to be a puppet. 
You're going yeah. to be a puppet at the extreme of whatever likes you want to get on whatever social media freaking platform that you think is important. You're going to be dancing around it. Yeah. Somebody else's freaking string. It's probably got a two watt brain. I'm yep. just saying, okay, that's just Bill. What is coming at you as, as I do in a direct way? Yeah. yeah. You are, you're a business coach and I can see, I can see that you're very successful. just by listening to you, 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 you have a tremendous amount of experience and depth in a way. And, and you're also a real estate investor. You're a speaker. Yep. You, you formulate senses extremely well. You have a great mic. I want your mic. <laughs> and you're the author of Level Jumping and the host of the podcast, Jumpstart Real Estate. Let's talk about your book, Level Jumping. What can I find in those, in those pages? Yeah. So when I got into real estate, I bounced around for three or four or five years and I was getting some momentum. I was, I was having some success, but what I realized was it was difficult for me to go from being the solo operator, this one man band into running an actual business. And once I broke that code or I cracked that code of, of how to do that, I, I literally took my business from doing, I was probably a, a $200,000 revenue company and I went <laughs> to a million in less than 12 months. Like I just exploded once I figured out some things. And so when I do speak and I talk about real estate and growing a business and creating this business, People always ask me, how did you do that? Like, if you look at a trajectory of my company on a, on a chart, it would be a slow, steady growth. And then at some point, it just hockey sticks, it goes straight up. And so if you were looking at that, you know, if you have any curiosity in you at all, you'll circle that and go, what happened right here? And that's what the book's about. What happened right there? What did I realize? What, what realizations did I have in my own business that allowed me to completely explode the growth virtually overnight? And I'll tell you in the book, I talk about those things. It's not necessarily a real estate book. It's really about growing a business and creating a business. It, I use real estate anecdotes because that's just the business that I'm in. And I can tell you there's three main things that happened for me during that time. There's others in the book, but there's three of the biggest things that happened to me. I learned about systems and processes. I had no systems. I had no process, nothing was down on paper, nothing was on a computer, it was all in my head. And by the way, every time that I flipped a new house or whatever, bought a rental, I treated it like it was a brand new thing. Like I had no set way of doing anything, which is completely inefficient. And certainly it's impossible to download that to employees or to people that work for you. So having systems and processes, the next thing that I, I found out that I really wasn't doing and I needed to do if I was gonna run a business, is I wasn't tracking numbers. I didn't know anything about my numbers. I didn't know if I was profitable, if I was not profitable. I knew money was coming in. I knew money was going out. I did not know how much of either was happening. And I didn't know what things were working in my business and propelling it forward. So learning how to track numbers was huge for me. And then the last thing was actually the people component, which is probably the most important thing. I wasn't hiring. My limiting belief before that was I can't afford employees. Like I can't, I mean, that's for big companies. Big companies hire employees. I'm a small company, but I knew I would never be a big company if it was just all on my back. I don't have the bandwidth. Nobody does. So I knew I had to bring people in, but I didn't think I could bring people in because I wasn't big enough, right? This big catch 22 kind of a mentality until I realized how to build a team. Even when you're a small company, some of the things you can do to build a team and hiring appropriately, bringing in great people. Because by the way, if you're running your own business right now, I don't care what industry you're in, you're probably really good at parts of it. And you're probably not really good at other parts of it. And so when we're doing everything on our own, we're doing the parts that we're not that great at. And by the way, if you're anything like me, the parts that you're not great at, 
you're also kind of creating your own bottleneck. You're doing them poorly because you're not great at them. You don't want to do them. You can put, so it suffers, right? So hire out the things you're not great at, you hate doing, hang on to the things you're great at until you can bring people in to do those too. Eventually the idea for me, I don't even want a business that I have to be in from nine to five every day. That's just a job, right? I, I'm a business owner. I want to sit in the owner's box. I want to be the visionary and I want to bring in great people that can help me run that. Because by the way, everybody in my business, each individual person, they're better at that than I ever was. Even the stuff I was great at, I have people who are focusing just on that and they're better at it than I was. Well, the one thing you're doing is the same thing I did and I got my ego I, uh, out of the way. I left it at the door. I hired people smarter and better than me and let them play. And, yep. and they had to earn their way to that first that first string of engagement because I was like you, I was very much, I wanted to hold on to this, but yep. my energy and my bandwidth and my, I just didn't want to be working at, as, a, as you know, on the yoke of that thing that was supposed to provide for my aggrandizement. And I don't want to be that a slave to that, to that process. So yeah. I have people better than me. I got the most important thing to me. And I'm going to ask you what that most important thing is to you. But the most important thing to me is freedom, freedom to move, do what I want to do when I want to do it with whom I want to do it with. It's way too many prepositions in that last one, but, but, I, love, <laughs> but, but I want to move. Tell me what's most important to you because we usually work as reductionists back from what's most important. Yeah. Honestly, I think everything boils down, especially, you know, as you get older and it really doesn't necessarily, there's not a certain age where it's going to hit you, but you realize time is the one thing you can't get back. You can make more money. You can buy different cars. You can buy bigger houses, all of that stuff. When time is gone, it's gone. So I'm with you hundred percent freedom of time. You said freedom. And I think that you mean kind of that your time to do what you want. So freedom of time far and away the most important thing to me and it gets more important the older you get it gets even more important because it seems like when you're 20 when you're 18 when you're 25 you've got all the time in the world time doesn't feel that valuable to you you get into your 30s and 40s and you start realizing crap time is actually pretty important so freedom of time is huge and that's why i said i don't want to work in my business nine to five i've worked nine to five i've worked in corporate but i know what that's like that's not what i want to do i want to work on my business i want to be above the chessboard moving the pieces around. I don't want to be on the board. You want to be above the chess board position to win. That's a great, that's a great metaphor. It, it sucks strategy because chess is strategy. In your book, you talk about what's the one strategy you wish you had known before you started the business? Um, I wish it, this is not okay. I'll, I'll give you two answers because there's two things that are very important that I didn't do early on. I didn't surround myself with people who thought larger than I do. Matter of fact, I surrounded myself with people who thought smaller than I did, which made me feel like I was thinking large until I got around actual A players. And I realized, holy crap, I think so small, but I was in a small fishbowl in my local like, you know, market. I was in a small fishbowl. It wasn't until I opened myself up and surrounded myself with much, much higher achieving people than I was at the time that my brain started expanding into what was possible. So that's far and away probably one of the biggest things that I did. But the other thing was the, the people component. I wish that I had started assembling a team sooner. I, I didn't think that I could. And so I did the things that I was really bad at and it really held me back. And 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 by the way, that those first five years when I wasn't even doing anything, like just to go back then and kick myself in the butt and say, man, you're afraid, get off your butt and start working because I did the math. If I just look at what my what I've done in the last five years and I sort of apply that to the first five in a very conservative way, understanding I would still have to get up and running like I left 
three and a half million dollars on the table in five years that I didn't do anything. Like that's just real numbers of what I could have and should have been able to produce in that five year time when I was sitting around doing nothing. Like I left that on the table. I know that. You talk about teams and employees, coworkers, that creates culture. So how do you build a sustainable culture? How do you build that? How do you Dude, that is that, that is like such a huge question and an important component that I would have told you as of three years ago, I would have said company culture is it's touchy feely, it's fluff, doesn't matter. It's just a bunch of crap people say to sell books or to sell whatever, right? <clears throat> Here's the deal, guys. Your company's culture is, think of it this way, forget about culture, think of it as your company's personality. Nobody likes to be around someone with a bad personality. People who you hire and bring onto your team will not enjoy coming to work if your company has a bad personality. And if you don't pay attention to your company's personality, I can almost guarantee you it's bad. Culture is something you have to think about. It's something you have to cultivate. The way we do it is we really do it through values. Our company has a set of values that we talk about in my company all the time. And one of those values, just as an example, is uh, extreme ownership. If you've ever heard of Jocko Willink and his book by the same name, Extreme Ownership, it really had an impact on me. And I really want that kind of a, a culture to be permeated through my company. I want everyone to take responsibility and ownership of everything they touch and do in the company. If you could imagine having a company full of people who refuse to point fingers, who refuse to blame someone else for anything that goes wrong, and they take that on themselves and they try to look at what they could have done to, to have that outcome not have gone that way, Imagine how powerful that is, right? And then you combine that with hard work and you combine that with integrity. And by the way, company culture is not just something you put on a piece of paper or you put on an overhead projector or a PowerPoint, you have to live it. So when something comes up as the owner of the company, and I have this happen to me in my business, something comes up where you have a decision. You can do the right thing, or you can sometimes, the, the difference between the right thing and the most profitable thing is doing the right thing or not. And if you choose profits over integrity or profits over honesty, you're, no one will believe it. So it starts at the top, you have to show integrity. When you make a commitment, and that commitment means you might make a little less money because you sort of maybe made a mistake, you, you, you live by it, you, you, you fulfill that commitment and you make less money. I've had that happen. I, I get at closings with, with real estate, right? Seller says my my acquisitions guy promised something that I didn't know he promised. It wasn't in the notes. We get to closing and they say, hey, you promised us you would pay our closing costs. You promised us whatever. Okay, if we promise that, here you go. We're going to do it, right? I could argue it. There's no proof. It was it was just a word that, that someone said, but that's that's just how we operate. Yeah, we're the same way. Uh, mentorship. People seek you out for coaching mentorship. How has mentorship helped you spring forward? So I said one of the most important things was surrounding myself with higher achieving, bigger thinking people. That was, for me, mentorship and masterminds. I, I'm a big fan and I know that there's a lot, it's very polarizing to talk about paid memberships and, and paid coaching and, and all that. I get that. I, I understand why people would be apprehensive and I know why some people kind of preach against it. I get it. Here's the deal. I was adamantly against paying anybody for education or to put myself in a certain environment. Everything is learnable on Google. I'll figure it out. Here's the deal. I spun around in circles. I bumped against walls. I couldn't figure it out until I surrounded myself with the right people. And that was a mastermind. It was a mentorship and a, and a coaching program called Seven Figure Flipping. 
I joined that group and I got access to folks who were years ahead of me in their development of their company. Sitting down with them, and here's something I tell people all the time, I was able to use their hindsight as my foresight. Mm -hmm. Imagine that, Bill, I go to you and say, I wanna be, be like Bill. What did you do over the last five to 10 years that you directly attribute to your success? What moved the needle? what did you do right? And by the way, what did you do wrong? What mistakes did you make that I should know about? If you tell me that, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to replicate that reasonably with the roadmap that you gave me. And that's what I did. I used their hindsight as my foresight. I took guys that were four or five years ahead of me, and that's how I did it in a year. Why should I not be able to do it sooner? I don't have to figure it out. They figured it out. And so that was huge for me. And that's why I eventually, I joined that mastermind. And now I'm one of the owners because I, I've seen it change lives. I have personally been involved with folks who are didn't know what to do. And they're running million dollar businesses now. It, it's a formula to, to an extent. I mean, there are, there are tools that you can give people. And by the way, I give some people those tools and they build a beautiful house, right? Metaphorically, I give other people those tools and they can't build a damn thing. Yeah. And the box that the tools are in is rusty because it's never been opened. Never been opened. Huh. You know why? Because they're yeah butters. Everything you tell them, they say, yeah, but, it's and they have an excuse. It's a poor carpenter that blames the tools. Yep. So wh- where do we find Mike Simmons? Tell, direct the audience because they're going to want your coaching. They're going to want your book. Where do we find you? If you go to my website, MikeSimmons.com, you can find my book. You can find my my uh, my podcast. That's definitely a great place to start. You can reach out to me through my website. Um, that makes it very easy. Just go straight there. If you want to, and we didn't talk about this beforehand, but if you want to get a digital version of my book for free, you can do that if you text the number 55444 and just text the words, just start. Just start to 55444. You get a free ver- a free digital version of my book. Awesome. I feel like I'm on Fox News, but I'm just not Tucker Carlson. <laughs> let, let, let me throw you the S word. And, and the S word is success. We all yeah. crave it. We want it. It's the shiny object. In your in Mike Simmons' verbiage, vernacular understanding, define success for me in your terms. Success is having the freedom to do what you want when you want and to wake up on Monday morning happy. Like that's it, man. I've woke up a lot of Monday mornings unhappy. I wake up now on Monday. Matter of fact, I don't even know it's always Monday. That's how happy I am. I don't know what day it is half the time. Well, I wake up on Mondays during football season unhappy if the Steelers lose, but other than that, I'm pretty good. The Steelers lose? All right, we got we to gotta address this. Who's your team? Steelers, man. You're happy if they lose, you said. I, I, I said I wake up unhappy if they lose. Oh, unhappy. Okay, oh, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. It's about so you probably grew up at a, you probably grew up, we're probably similar ages. You can't see it, but it's just out of focus right here. It's a Cowboys helmet. Oh, all right, man. man. I, you know all right. What? You were doing great. I liked you. I was going to promote this show. I knew I was going to alienate. Freaking thing. It's cut off. It's silver. I thought it was the Raiders. Sports, it's the Cowboys. <laughs> well, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, small town. Pittsburgh Steeler football was a rite of passage. It's just how it's just how it was. Where, yeah. where are, I usually asked this before. I'm remiss of not doing it. Where are you from? Yeah, it's crazy. I'm from Michigan. I don't I, I listen. I, here's the thing. Are you in it, Michigan now? I'm in Michigan now. I'm in Michigan now. When I was of the formative age, right, six to ten years old, I I latched onto the Cowboys, and I I can't tell you. I've never lived in in Texas. I've never lived in Dallas. It's just who I became a fan of when I was a kid, and I can't shake it. It's just who I am. And, now, I, so. and I respect that. I mean, you didn't go with the Tigers. You didn't go with the Lions. No. 
right. Okay. Nobody so, goes at the Lions. Come on. No one goes to the Lions, baby. <laughs> it just ain't going to happen. So now, the, the other side, the underbelly, the deep, dark, secret shit no one ever tells you is failure. They don't want to touch that word, man. And you mentioned the other F word. That's fear. Usually uh, it becomes right before failure or it's a failure because you fear. So tell me about your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? I mean, my biggest failure was probably sitting around for five years on my ass and not doing anything. However, my biggest financial failure, uh, it, it happened because of ego. Uh, I, I bought a property that I shouldn't have bought. Uh, everything was telling me not to do it. I had a feeling it was going to work and, I, and it didn't. And I lost six figures and that was probably four years ago. Up to that point, I had never lost money in real estate. And I used to tell people I've never lost money in real estate. And I just let my ego get in the way. I should have stepped aside. But when the deal started falling apart, I like Superman, I grabbed the pieces, I pulled it together and said, heck no, I'm doing this. And I, I regretted it. I lost a ton of money. And it was all ego. Had All the numbers were telling me not to do it. And I did it anyway. You know, there's a number of great takeaways in this podcast. And uh, I really want to center on and I want the I want the listener to think about that fear that and then getting to a certain point where it's almost like an anesthesia or almost like it's a sedative because you are doing well. Generally speaking, but not well enough for the person in the mirror. And that's the ultimate person that you have to please to be happy. I think that's a huge takeaway. Uh, uh, the definition of success we're in alignment on and you pay for your mistakes or you pay for the promises your reps make. So do I. And that's called credibility. That's earning a reputation. And you do that through character. It's a manifestation of character. I don't mean to get off and pontificate or opine, but I just did. Did you have one or many defining moments? And if you just had one major salient defining moment, what was it? I've had a lot of them. I, I really believe, I, I was just thinking about this this morning. I look back and think, what did I want out of my business, out of my career? What did I want? And what I wanted a year ago is not what I want now. What I wanted three years ago. So every time I get to a point, it's kind of like, it's there's a saying, I don't know who said it, but when you walk, you when you look forward, you can see, let's just say you can see a mile on a clear day. Mm -hmm. And then you walk a mile and you can see another mile, right? Every time I get to a point in my life or in my career where I think I'm getting close to what I wanted a year ago or two years ago, I can see farther now. I have better vision. I have better idea of what I'm capable of and what's important to me. And it, it's an evolution, man. So it's like every year, it's like I'm a, a snake that just sloughs its skin. Like I have a new outlook on how I wanna do things and what I wanna do. People ask me like, when are you gonna stop working? Like, when is enough enough? I don't know. I, I like to think that at some point it will be, but I don't know because every time I achieve something, it excites me for the next thing that I want to do. So I don't know, maybe that's just life, man. Just continuously kind of pushing and going toward your goals. It's like a shark. I feel like a shark. Like if I stop swimming, I'm going to die. And Better, I don't want to yeah. stop swimming. There you go. Sharks, DNA. It's in your that's DNA. Right. That's who you are. That's so right. You're, you're not going to let that burn out. Probably it, not. If I, if there's any question that I didn't ask you, you're me, you're sitting over here. What would that question be? What would you want me to ask you that I didn't ask you? We've talked about a lot. I think here's what I'm focused on this year. I've taken people from, you know, doing X amount of money in their real estate business to really blowing it up to a, a full scale business with a full team and everything. What I'm really passionate about right now is really what this podcast addresses, which is why I was like so excited to do it. I'm really focused on that those people who are suffering in silence, going to work, 
They don't know what they don't know. They have no idea what to do first. They don't know how to get unstuck. They don't know how to become unstoppable. They're just living in the silent hell that they've created for themselves and they don't know how to get out of it. I wanna help people get out of it because I've experienced it all. I've gotten the high of business success and I've sat in that silent prison of unhappiness and I wanna help people get out of that. So. What's the number one thing you can do? Listen, reach out to me, number one, and I, let's talk. I, I will help you. I won't charge you. I just want to talk to you and find out what's happening in your life. But I really think people who are sitting in that silent, just prison that they've created, those are the folks that I'm really interested in helping. And it really, there, there, there's methods to getting out of that mess. And I, I know it because I was in it. And it's not easy. And you can't do it alone a lot of times. And so those are the folks that I want to help. And you know, there's a passionate conviction in your voice and it resonates as authentic. So I, my hope is that people do reach out and do learn from you and giving stuff away. You're not giving it for free, but you're giving the introductory up, the, the, the idea that, you know what, let's see if there's a value. If there's not, and you're the finer, you know, final arbiter of value, then we won't do it. But I think people will move forward with you regardless of that cowboy's helmet that's sitting there. (laughs) If you live to be 160 years old, you live a great life, man. You were vital. You were vibrant. You just kept working till the end, but you had fun. You just kept building and you built people. At the end of the day, you could write one paragraph so others could learn from, grow from. What would that paragraph look like? The paragraph would say something like this. If you know that what you're doing in life doesn't fulfill you, doesn't make you happy, doesn't make you proud, and doesn't make you feel like you're making your kids proud if you have kids, then you have to take action. Like look at your life, evaluate where you're spending your time and make a change. Because to your point, we said this early on, I don't remember if we we're on or off mic, but it, it, it can get too late. It can be too late. The last thing I want to have happen to me or anyone listening to this is you do get to the end of your life, whenever that is. And you look back with regret. To me, that's the scariest possible scenario in life is to look back and regret once it's too late. I can't, I can't do it. I can't, it's scared. Like I got chills just now when I said it, it scares me to look back with regret. That's what I don't want. Did anyone in this studio give him my book or my, one of my talks, because you just nailed the opening talk for me, the most helpless, the, the thing that does bring those, those fear bumps to me is regret is being able to play it forward and not being able to do a thing you know, that I can do now at a certain stage and age where I look back and, and say the worst words of, of all time. I wish I would have, I wish I, uh, geez, just, I wonder if, oh, I hate regret. It's a physical, it has internal lacerations start to develop when I mentioned the word. That is my number one fear. So I, I think we're both in the same place with it. it. The Unstoppables today was brought to a new level. We just raised the bar with Mike Simmons. He moved through fear. He moved through uncertainty. He had a, a life that by all stretches and all imaginations and all you know, living proof was comfortable. It was comfortable, it was relaxing, but he looked in the mirror and said, you know what, I'm capable, I wanna do more. And more is helping people, working through, with, and for people. Mike, you were fantastic. It was my honor and pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Same here, thanks Bill, thanks for having me, I appreciate it. You've been listening to The Unstoppables. If you liked today's episode, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Thursday. Please help spread the word of the show by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or Stitcher. Those five-star reviews really help out the show.
You can subscribe to The Unstoppables on iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher to stay up to date on the latest episodes. Thanks again for listening. Always forward.